You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Before we look at our text, I wanted to just bring up one thing. Uh, Jan Hepker has uh, not been here for a while. She visited a month or two ago. She's not doing really well. Kind of hospice care is, is uh, being involved. Some of you have been to visit her. Thank you for doing that. And I just want to invite you as a church, if you sense God put it on your heart to go visit and say hi and bring a word of encouragement, please do that. So she's kind of slowing down and going downhill. So just encourage you to do that. Thankful for those that are visiting, but just a, a call for that. Um, if you would turn your scriptures again to Book of Luke, chapter one, verse thirty-six is where we're at this week. As we look at at Mary, we look at God's word. We look at her son Jesus as exalting him, but we are looking at her life and her response to the Lord. Um, I have one picture as you're getting to Luke one thirty-six from last week. Does Marshall recognize this picture? Marshall turned this in to me last week, and we were talking about Mary's questions and God's. Sometimes we have questions, and, and God doesn't answer all those questions, but he answers the ultimate life questions, and ultimately the answer was Jesus. Ultimately, yeah, that was right, where Christmas leads to. That birth is not just a, a birth. It leads to that quiet scene, leads to death on a cross for Christ, for sinners, and a glorious a resurrection. He's not there anymore. He's risen. He reigns today. So thanks, Marshall, for drawing that. If you look in Luke 1, 36, you know it's short enough. I'm going to back up so we get context. I'm going to go back to verse 26 because you want to hear the, the angel here to Mary. Let's do that, and then we're going to pick up 36 and beyond here today. God's Word says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. He came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Let's pray again. Father, I pray for us, Lord, that often have wayward souls and we come today, we come to this place to gather with your people, not because we've earned a spot or earned the chair we're sitting in or earned a certain holiness by our deeds. Father, if we were to earn what we deserve, it would be your wrath. But you have been gracious, and we come today because of the name of Jesus. There is no other name. It's by your grace, Lord, I preach. It's by your grace your people listen. And it's by your grace you've written your word to us that we might, by your grace, believe and trust you. So, Lord, lead in our time in your word together. By your spirit, work in us, Lord, what you would, you would have for our lives. In your name, amen. I think in large part our happiness is based heavily on fulfilled expectations. Our heaviness, our happiness, I should say, is based heavily on fulfilled expectations. It's why we can struggle in marriage. Husbands, wives, you might go along with this. We have a certain expectation to be fulfilled. This is what life is going to be like. This is what they're going to be like. And when the expectation is not met, we experience unhappiness or disgruntlement. Even Christmas time, it's ripe for unmet expectations. The, the song, I can't remember the title of the song. It's the hap- happiest time of the year. We expect it's just going to be happy and a great time. And yet, as we perhaps stand in line at certain places, you might find yourself even frustrated that the line's not moving faster. Perhaps if you've put off getting gifts till the last minute, you're going to be really frustrated. And those are fun times to just go, okay, I'm going to go with joy into the store and, and uh, trust the Lord and be a light. But they can be frustrating times. We can be impatient, hurried. It's supposed to be a season of joy. And there are times... And yet we see, even in a holiday season, it cannot give us that happiness. Even if it does, it's only, as Brandon's saying, it's only a week and a half away. And then we're off, and we're off to cold temps, or maybe colder, and the dreariness, and the lights go down, that sort of thing. Uh, Kids, think of your expectations of this time. Perhaps you're expecting what you're going to find under that tree and there's expectations towards that gift that maybe you're going to receive and and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer but I can remember a Christmas myself and perhaps I bring it up every year because it affected me so much but I can remember that yellow Tonka truck and if my parents listen to the podcast it's okay I think I'm over it but it was yellow and it was just not what I was wanting and I remember I don't know out of all of them I just remember being in the bathroom just crying because I did not get what I wanted. So kids, don't do that. Just try, listen to the sermon, okay? Listen through this. But we have those unmet, they're unmet expectations, things, this is going to give me joy and happiness, and it just kind of, it fades away. And you might already guess kind of where this is going, that nothing 
of this temporal world can ultimately fulfill. Nothing can meet our expectations for lasting happiness and blessing. But I did say this temporal world, this temporary world. There is one, capital O, one, who can fulfill our expectations for joy. And he will for eternity. His word of promise can be banked on through all the ebbs and flows of this temporal life. Mary came to trust him, and may we as well. We're in this series looking at Mary's response to Yahweh, modeling a response to Yahweh. Again, this is not to exalt Mary any more than what the Scriptures do, but we're just examining how she responds to the Lord. And then with eyes fixed on the Lord, not on Mary, but eyes fixed to the Lord, that we would respond as well. Last week we saw Mary responding to the angel's greeting she, and the message. She had questions. What kind of greeting is this? How will this be? And those, quest, those questions, they were answered with a focus on Jesus. He's the ultimate answer. His word answers our most important questions. Today's text, as we read 36 to 45, narrows, I think, a bit to Mary's, her specific response to this announcement of Jesus. The announcement of his kingdom, his holiness, this virgin birth that's to take place. It's her response to this. How can this Jesus, fully God and at the same time fully man, yet without sin, holy, these two natures, this one person, this union only God can bring about? How does she respond? So we left off in verse 35 with the answer to Mary's question, how, how will this be since I'm in virgin? The answer? Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now look at our passage and look at the first two verses, 36 and 37. The angel continues, And behold, these are kind of markers, Behold, take a look, pay attention. Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Prior in this chapter, we haven't read this, but if you're familiar with Luke in this chapter, there's that announcement to Zechariah the priest. He was on duty. He's burning the incense. The angel comes, Gabriel, that that his wife, this Elizabeth, who's been barren, who could not have children, she would bear a son in her old age. A miracle. Here the angel is continuing really to answer to Mary, how is this virgin birth going to take place? How will this be? And part of the answer is, look at your relative, Elizabeth, who in her old age has conceived. How will this be? Verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. Look at the, the word there. If you've got the ESV, I've got for nothing. You can almost separate nothing as no thing. That's what it is, right? No thing. Or fill in the blank. No event. The word here could have a couple different meanings, like, like no word. So no word's impossible with God. What he says, it's not impossible. If he says it, he will do it. It's not impossible. No thing is impossible. He says a thing, this thing's going to happen. It will happen. 
No event is impossible with God. Mary, though, in context, she's not been with a man. She's going to be pregnant. And so Elizabeth, called barren, she's old and she's already pregnant. And these are the events that seem impossible to which the angel again concludes, with God, nothing is impossible. No thing. That's what God does. He does the seemingly impossible from our viewpoint. You ever thought about this from God's viewpoint? From God's viewpoint, everything he does is possible. He doesn't start the day wondering if he can, if he's going to fulfill his word today. Like we might worry, will I get to it? Will I do it? That's not how his day starts. He doesn't wonder if his plan is going to work. He knows and he's active to carry out all of his sure plans. But from our eyes, from our perspective, we see these situations, these events, circumstances, they look to us as being very, very impossible, not from God's eyes. Perhaps you've heard of that, uh, I don't know if I've watched a lot, I think I've seen it once or twice, the, the Food Network show called Restaurant Impossible. You ever seen that show, Restaurant Impossible? There's a, I can't remember his name, uh, there's a chef. He goes around, the premise is there's a flailing restaurant, it's not doing well, it's not making money, it's failing, and this chef, this kind of hard-nosed guy is going to go in, he's going to turn things around, he's going to get this place back on his feet, back profitable again. He's going he's gonna to work on it. In a sense, he saves what looks to be an impossible for the title, Restaurant Impossible. He saves what looks impossible to save. You know, what, and we're to look at this chef and go, what a guy, you're right. How much greater, to a greater extent, the restaurant of our lives that looks impossible to save, for we lack power to transform ourselves, to save ourselves, Jesus comes and does what's impossible. Way beyond Mr. Chef that can fix the restaurant. He fixes the heart. Jesus speaks of the impossible. He speaks of it in Mark 10. I believe later on in Luke, the, a similar story. The impossible of salvation. There's a rich man that's come to Jesus, asks him, you know, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes through this. Yep, I've done that. I've done all these things. You remember? Gets the last one, go, sell all you have, give to the poor. And the man walks away. And the Bible tells us because he had great possessions. The disciples look at this, this guy asking for eternal life and say, man, if this guy can't do it, who can? They say, if he can't be saved, who can be saved? And Jesus looks at them and says, remember, with man, it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. What what does Jesus just say in that? He says salvation, being saved, eternal life, entering this kingdom of which he's the eternal king. He will reign his kingdom. There's no end. He's the most high, the son of the most high. He has the throne forever. This kingdom, that salvation will not happen unless God acts. Like Elizabeth, conceiving in her old age. Like Mary, conceiving the Holy One through, though she's a virgin. So too, God does the impossible in mankind, men and women, enslaved to sin. 
It's, not, it's impossible with us, not with God. For he makes, what, makes possible what's impossible. All right, well, we get to verse 38 then. Look at Mary's response. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Can you picture Mary here? We're not told. Perhaps her hands are just lifted up in submission. Behold, I'm a, I'm a servant. The, the is is not, I think it's emphatic. I, I the, she just calls herself, I'm a servant. Servant of the Lord, whatever you want, let it be to me according to your word. I'm your servant. Here I am, you could say. She calls herself a, a doule, or, or you maybe heard of the Greek word doulos, that idea, that idea of being a servant, a slave of the Lord. And we see this throughout the New Testament authors often begin their letters with this word, Paul, a servant, a doulos, or a servant of Christ Jesus. James begins his letter, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter begins, Second Peter that way. Jude begins this way. It's the mark. It's the mark of one in submission to and willing to follow whatever the Lord has. And it's here the response of Mary. I am the servant of the Lord. And she says, let it be to me according to your word. What's she saying here? She's saying, Lord, whatever you want to do, go ahead and do. She places herself under the word of God. In essence, God's word has the final say in Mary's life. Is this, is this your response? Is this how you respond to whatever God has for your day or for your life? I don't think that's often how we look at our day. We want the day to go according to my expectations, my words, my ways. This is my plan for today. We, we don't typically, and maybe it's good to start stepping out of bed and say, let it be to me according to your word today. Do what you will, Lord. So it takes faith, faith here, I think, for Mary to say, let it be according to your word. There's trust that this word is good and he's faithful. We serve a gracious God who is true to his word. Mary here trusts in the Lord. The result of this belief, of trust, of submission, I think the result is blessing. So in the text, Mary now, we're going to now connect here to the next section. Mary heads to see her relative. This relative, Elizabeth, journeys to go see her. And I think we see themes of blessing and belief. So look at uh, verse 39 and 40. So here's this proclamation. And now Mary, verse 39, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. We're not told what town she went to other than it's the hill country of Judah. Could be a lot of places. One, uh, Matthew Henry, if you're familiar with him, who writes kind of an older commentary. He wonders about it being the city of Hebron, one of those 
Remember now, Joshua, now we're familiar here. Joshua city, uh, a Levitical city, perhaps that's where she went, where, where the priests would, would be living, like Zechariah, who was a priest. Perhaps, we're just, we're not told. But we do see belief, I think, in action here. Mary hears the word from the angel, and she goes, gets up in haste, she goes to see Elizabeth. I don't think she's going to see if what God told her of a relative is true. I'm going to see if this is true or not. I, I think she's going to see what, in fact, God had done. I want to see it. I, I, I don't think we get a sense of, well, I'm your servant, let it be, and yeah, maybe I'm going to see if, the, and then I'll believe. There seems to be a faith and a trust as she goes. It's the re- response of faith to see God's work. We see it in the shepherds that night outside Bethlehem. The angels announce good news and they respond, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. It's fitting, even in the context of the book of Luke, at the beginning chapter, beginning verses where he's writing to Theophilus to to have a certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Luke is wanting Theophilus, have a certainty about what you've been taught. Mary seems to have a certainty she's going to see it. She's going, traveling to Elizabeth, confirmation, seeing that of what God has said. And so she arrives and greets Elizabeth. And I try to read it, but you just can just hear and hear this excitement of Elizabeth. She is excited, and the baby within her is excited that Mary has come. Look at 41. I'm just going to read through 44 to get the, the idea of this. So Mary comes in, house of Zechariah, greets Elizabeth, verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. There's excitement here. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then she kind of comes back to this. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. At the very sound of Mary's greeting, so John, we know in her womb, John the Baptist, the baptizer, leaps for joy. My study Bible notes say this. This could be seen as the prophetic first instance of John preparing the way for Jesus. You ever thought about I don't think I had. John's prophetic role is evidenced even as an unborn child in the womb. John's already leaping and preparing and saying, he's coming, he's coming, prepare. So in a sense, John's ministry has begun, leaping for joy at the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He'll say later, And it's a leaping accompanied by his mom being filled. You see in verse 41, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Matthew Henry is helpful here describing this filling of the Holy Spirit as perhaps a filling of a spirit of prophecy, which is, is what we see as she blesses Mary in the fruit of her womb. This filling of the Spirit and then these pronouncements 
Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. This, this outpouring, really, of Elizabeth and yet the filling of the Spirit to say, Blessed are you and the fruit of your womb. Certainly, Mary is blessed to carry the Lord Jesus, but it's the fruit of her womb. That's what makes her blessed. One commentator points out uh, verse 42 where it says, Blessed are you among women. Just to be sure, points out, she is blessed among women, not above women. Again, the caution here is to see the blessing of Mary carrying Jesus, but not exalting her to a status she's not given. She's blessed because she carries Jesus. Jesus, the fruit of her womb. That's what Elizabeth says, blessed be the fruit of your womb. You see what's happening in verse 40? Blessed is the fruit of your womb. There are magnificent things even happening right here. And maybe you could say, well, throughout the, throughout the passage. Do you remember Genesis 3.15? That proto-evangelium? Here is its fulfillment. Genesis 3.15 comes after Adam and Eve in the garden. They have rebelled. They've been tempted by the the serpent. They sinned. They went against the Lord. They did not follow Him and took that fruit and disobeyed. And the Lord now comes and eventually, you know, He'll get to everybody, but He starts with the serpent and He's cursing this serpent who tempted Adam and Eve. And He says, God says this to him, I will put enmity between you serpent, devil, and the woman between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Just getting at the heel. The offspring of the woman. Here, here this fruit of the woman is blessed. God's plan of redemption and defeat of Satan is here in the womb of Mary, the mighty one. The king is coming. I can't remember the verse. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Elizabeth speaks in verse 43 with kind of a question. Kind of a, I think it's a statement, but it's in question form. Her humility here. As she asks then, why, why is it granted to me Why should the mother of my Lord come to me? I think it echoes what her son John, later in his life, he's going to say, he who is mightier is coming. This is John the Baptist preaching repentance, but one mightier is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. John says, I'm not worthy to even untie the sandals of this one, this mighty one, Jesus. And I think we get a sense of that as Elizabeth says, Why is it granted to me that you you should come? This mother of my Lord. There's a sense of Elizabeth's, her unworthiness in the presence of Mary. Even just the mother of the Lord visiting her house. So she responds, verse 45, kind of this this wrap-up verse that kind of brings it back around and why I, to me, why I've connected these two parts and these two sections because verse 45 kind of circles back around to what Mary's already proclaimed 
I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Elizabeth recognizes this faith and belief in 45, says, and blessed or blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Happy are those who believe in the fulfillment of God's word. Blessed. I think you can insert the word happy. Happy is Mary who has believed that God would fulfill what he spoke to her, the word. As to Mary's faith, one writer, Herbert Locklear, says this, and he's written a book called The Women of the Bible. You want to find a book, it's all the women. Everyone mentioned says this in there, and he quotes a little bit from Augustine. He says, Augustine says that Mary first conceived Christ in her heart by faith before she conceived in the womb. And the testimony of Elizabeth expresses and stamps the whole character of the virgin. Blessed is she that believeth, implying that she wore the crown of faith above all others. Belief results in blessedness, happiness. And I think, again, that's what ties back to verse 38. Mary, I'm the servant. Let it be, according, let it be to me according to your, your word. So happy are those who believe that there will be fulfillment of what has been proclaimed in the Lord. And this blessing, this happiness, is not just for Mary, is it? It's for us who believe. We believe what God has promised, what he's spoken of in his word, and we can rely on it. All parts of it, his word, we can trust in it. And when that, when that trust, when that authority goes away, that takes our joy away. We trust in what God has said in his word. I want to practice that with you this morning in a little bit of time that we have left. I want to practice this Motion of coming to God's word, looking at it, believing what he said and believing there would be fulfillment. We're going to go to a familiar space as we just practice this together. So come with me to Luke 4. We're not going far. Just turn over to Luke 4, 16. We're jumping ahead in Jesus' life. He's grown up now. Luke 4, 16. Let me just, <clears throat> while you're going there, and as a side note, it's quiet. I'm hearing those pages. Thank you. Keep looking in God's Word. It's wonderful. You test. You look. You see there. Uh, if your iPad, you're looking on there, you can turn up the page so we hear those. I'm just kidding. But let's look here at Luke uh, four sixteen. Jesus, again, he's grown up. He's begun his ministry. He's going out. He's teaching in the synagogues. And here's what we read. Now we're going to practice. Here's Jesus. Verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim 
liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now listen to this. He just gets done reading this, and he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. How cool would that be? Here's Jesus having just read this, sits down and says, What I just read, it's here. He makes this bold claim to have fulfilled Scripture in their hearing. Now, Luke is going to write much later on, after Jesus' resurrection. He's going to write of Jesus walking on that road to Emmaus, sharing with these guys, beginning with, I think it's Moses and the prophets, to interpret all the Scriptures, the things concerning himself. It's focused on Christ. That's where Scripture goes, so that we can say in Christ he fulfills all the Scriptures because the Scriptures point to him. And we see him fulfilling the scriptures. Now, I, I want you to turn to where these words come from I, because it's worth the turn. So go to Isaiah. They come from Isaiah 61. And I want to just end by reading Isaiah 61. And here's Isaiah 61. Years before Jesus would come in the flesh to Mary, born of the Virgin, the Holy One, Here's the scriptures, and now their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, they're fulfilled. Think of what this is. As we, as we look at this and say, let it be according to your word, blessed is she, blessed is, is we who believe what the Lord has said, what he's spoken of, that he will fulfill it. I want to encourage you as I read Isaiah 61, just 1 through 3. I won't read the whole thing. Do you believe in Jesus this is fulfilled? And we see this. Here's what it says. The Spirit, again, we're now, oh yeah, we've heard this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has appointed, I'm sorry, has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is God doing impossible work for sinners. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. What's our response to this one who fulfills this, this king who reigns eternally? May we respond like Mary. Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. You're my Savior. I trust you. Let's pray. Father, 
thank you for these words. Thank you for the narrative of Luke and how you've worked through human authors to put your very words on our pages before us to see in them the fulfillment of the scriptures pointing to Jesus. Your words went to Mary. We don't exalt Mary, but we thank you for her example of believing and trusting and saying, let it be to me according to your word. We come to the one that Mary brought forth by God's hand, Jesus Christ. Lord, you comfort us when we mourn. May you do that. As we go through this week, this Christmas season, as we face expectations unmet, things under the tree we didn't expect, and Lord, far greater things than that. We thought so-and-so would treat us better. We thought our sin would be done by now. We thought this would be a happier time. Father, may we leave behind the fleeting joys of this temporal world and be blessed by believing in Jesus, our Savior, our rock, our guide. We pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.